You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. started all right we're back on conspiranormal and guys we really have a treat for you tonight we have another round table and how this one came about was i really wanted to get greg bishop to be on for the round table that we did on woke in the 90s he wasn't able to do it and I figure, well, why don't we just do another roundtable? And I don't know where this one is going to take us, but we do have some questions from the woke in the 90s. Um, so let's go around and introduce. We've got Greg Bishop. Hello. Hey, Greg. And uh, Tim Banal. Yo, what's going on, guys? Oh, man. Just just podcasting, bro. And <laughs> <laughs> Cast life. Casting. It's that cast life. Podcasting, bro. <laughs> and Robert Guffey is here as well. Greetings from Long Beach, California. Absolutely, man. That was a uh, that was quite a that was. I remember when we hung out last year, Robert. That was like I only recorded like an hour of a four-hour conversation. Yes. yes, it was like a four-hour lunch, and you recorded an hour of it. You <laughs> You should have just kept it rolling. Yeah, it would have been it would have been it would have been pretty epic. There was a lot of, there was a lot of walking around and such as well. But that's uh, true, the walking tour. So we did something interesting this last weekend over August seventeenth and uh 
well, it was over August 17th and 18th. We were only there for one day. We went to the Alien Expo in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is only about two and a half hours from us. And we met some interesting people. And I want to get you guys' thoughts on, well, one person in particular. So should we go right into that, or do you want is there anything you want to yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the expo. Real about the quick. expo uh, itself, okay. Some of the highlights and the stuff that we really enjoyed. Yeah, so we we went to this thing in Knoxville, and we we watched Kathleen Martin speak was the first one. Yeah, and a lady named Angelia Shear, who actually is the local MUFON, the Tennessee representative yeah. here in Tennessee. She actually lives around in the Nashville area, and we saw. Ray Hernandez. Yeah, which that was really the highlight of the speeches. Yes, it was. It was really, really good. It was. And it was um, it was kind of a shame Yeah, with how that was handled because for some reason they, they kept going over on presentations and Ray Hernandez only got about 40 minutes. And the guy that came after him was this guy named Ken Stone, who was one of these um, secret space program, you know, they went down the time tunnel to Mars, guys. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. he, couldn't, which he couldn't hear anybody. He had, he had to constantly ask people to speak up. And the Ray Hernandez stuff was, like, really fascinating. It was all about the free um, study that he had done, I guess him and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. That they did, I think, like a couple of years ago, and they compared alien abduction experience to near-death experience. And Greg, I know you know Ray Hernandez, but I thought sort it was kind of—I kind of, thought it was kind of a real shame that they did not give him enough time. And it was probably the most interesting presentation there, and the for one us. that everyone really needed to hear. Right, exactly. So, like, if I if we do another <laughs> conference at some time. I would definitely give him a full like hour. Yeah, it was a great presentation. But he skipped over a lot of stuff. So yeah, yeah, you can't have really skip over stuff because his stuff is fairly comprehensive. His book that that book they put together with all the documents in it is just a horse choker. The Beyond UFOs, yeah, yeah. And it's got. I think there's there's some good stuff in there. Um, good comparisons between. Um, advances in physics and parapsychology and how that relates to the ufo thing and of course everybody's listening you guys um all probably pretty certain there's connections i'm pretty sure there are because the connection is is the human mind right yeah so if you're dealing with the human mind you got to deal with these other areas um and ray is um doing that he's trying to make people aware of these connections in in uh in kind of a populist way instead of an academic way. Although he has academics, you know, um, working with him and helping him. But uh, yeah, that, that it'd be nice to see one of those uh, books like boiled down into like a couple hundred pages. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Because uh, you kind of have to jump around in that book. Yeah. It, it just, like I said before, it was just a shame that he got so less time than the, uh, the Martian <laughs> super soldier guy. A, the, the secret yeah. space did program astronaut. Yeah, did you talk about it? Was it just because he was polite? Was it because he was like he didn't 
he actually ended on time? If everybody else went over, was he like the only one who was like, oh, hey, I'm actually supposed to be on until 5, so I'm going to stop now? No, they were rushing him because they are yeah. trying to get back on schedule, and then right. I guess they just gave oh, up God. on that a couple later and just let this other guy. Yeah, and, and there was supposed to be another speaker speaking until 7.15, and like that guy well, didn't even get to speak. Jeez. <laughs> I hope he got paid. Yeah, I'm assuming um, that he got to speak the next day, but we weren't there oh, the next day. Oh, no. Did you, did, did, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you should have just talked to the guy afterwards anyway if you thought he had a great presentation, you know, have him on your show or whatever. Yeah, we, we didn't want to. Yeah, we were trying, but uh, he, had a, <laughs> he had a lot of people and we thought we'd had still had time. Maybe he'd go back to his booth, but everybody was, was packing up. You know, I'd just like to yeah. get a card or something. If you didn't, I've got one, and I can give I can give you the info off that. Cool, yeah, I, that's why. Yeah, I want I want to try to get in touch with him and get him on the show because it's probably he, the same that's on his web presence. So he's also in Pasuka's book too, and that's what I was pointing out to Serfiel when we were there. Um, yeah, but that was probably the most important um, talk that that uh, that I felt people needed to hear, but the unfortunate thing was i felt like this whole thing was much more geared to kind of like the whole much more geared to the eth hypothesis and much more geared towards like kind of the ancient aliens kind of kind of stuff mm-hmm. as yeah. well like the mainstream the yeah mainstream the main the mainstream stuff yeah you and know this was actually my first ufo conference and i looked at adam and i was like dude this feels like church <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. what they're like you can just feel the belief, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely what they're like. That's that's 99.9% of them. Um, and then there's, you know, and then if you're lucky, you get little bits and pieces in there of people that uh, um, that uh, aren't, aren't really doing that. Um, I know that uh, uh, Alejandro uh, Rojas uh, at the UFO Congress, he tried, you know, he gets those people in there like the, you know, the... The, uh, the secret space program jump room BS stuff in uh-huh. there, but he'll also sneak in a whole bunch of other people that actually kind of irritate some of the audience. Which is, no matter what you think of Alejandro, I think that's that's good. He had Robbie Graham there a couple of years ago, and people were, people didn't like his talk, and uh, some people. Yeah, and I heard Steve. Steve Bat- yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Bassett got up and kind of said, I don't agree with anything with this guy says. I'll debate him at any time, anywhere, about anything he said. This is all complete BS. And then well, he never wait, said anything. Well, what exactly was it about Robbie Graham's talk that he objected to? It was a, there are other ways to look at the UFO subject than where are aliens, which planet are, are the aliens coming from. That was the whole basis of this talk. And, that seems pretty um, basic. Yeah, but Bassett is having none of it because it it goes against the, the it goes against the church, you know, against the right. UFO church that there's aliens coming here from other planets, and we have to fit, we have to get that out to the people, and the government knows it, and blah 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 blah. And yeah. that, and what brought look that's just one idea. It's compelling. It's a decent one, but that's the only thing most people look at, and that was the point of his talk. And Bassett got a you know got his panties in a bunch over it. Wow. And then he never came. Bobby said he never called anything later to say, "Okay, where are we going to do the debate?" Anything. He just kind of threatened him up uh, in public and took up a whole bunch of time, and then said, and then didn't talk to him ever again. He threatened him. 
Well, not threatened him. He just said, I will debate you anytime, anywhere about this. And Uh-oh. Robbie said, uh, he, for he threw invite. shade. He threw shade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. UFO shade. Someone, someone should write a book called UFO shade. UFO beef. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, we used to have that. It was called saucer smear, but that's gone now. Saucer smear. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, absolutely correct. <laughs> So before I kind of get into the into the meat of this, um, it was just a like like Serfiel said it was it had that that church kind of quality to it. But uh, let's let's get into this. Who we met? This is this is interesting, guys, and I think this will uh, this I I've, Robert. I've already talked to you about this. So this guy uh, sits yesterday. down in front of us during one of the presentations. Yeah, Kathleen Martin, as she yeah. was finishing. Yeah, and and uh, I'm like, man, who is this guy? He looks really familiar. He's got the like white slick backed hair and this like dyed black mustache, and he has this kind of Hollywood kind of street guy aura about him. You know, yeah. I'm like, yeah. who is this guy? And he's he's with this you know like a blonde, you know, <laughs> and uh, some other really weird dude. He's kind of like a hanger on. And uh, I'm like, Adam, man, who who is this guy, man? He's somebody. He looks really familiar. And and uh, after her speech, he like just yells out from the crowd, uh, "We we really appreciate you. We need people like you to tell our tell your stories. We believe you." And like everyone's clapping oh, wow. and everything. And uh, yeah, and so it he he's walking by when we're upstairs, and like I was like, Adam, there he is, man. Go you know, hand him a flyer. So, Adam. You well, know, well, first of all, you overheard him say something. Yeah, yeah, I overheard him say something to somebody about. Yeah, I'm the only one who ever got uh, uh, you know, conclusive uh, DNA evidence of human alien hybrid. And then something about I, I lost two hundred thousand dollars, and I just caught these little you know, I was totally interloping. And uh, so Adam, he runs had up that to air him. of importance about him. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm an important figure in this whole. Are we game. supposed to get? Is this Daryl Sims? Is, no, is no. Daryl Sims. Well, no. so then a- Adam goes Jonathan. up to him, and uh, he's uh, Doctor Jonathan Reed. Yes. And oh. Geez. I didn't remember. I heard him on Art Bell, and like I couldn't place it. And he starts telling his story, and then this gal with him, like, kind of starts filling in the gaps. He's like, "Oh well, she can tell it better, better than I can. Go ahead, honey." And she gives us the whole story about the alien killing his dog and him killing the alien. and uh, With a stick. They don't go into the alien being in the freezer and then getting the magical bracelet and stuff because I don't think we had enough time. <laughs> but he wasn't presenting. He didn't have a table or anything. And I kind of got this feeling. It's almost like, you know, the washed up rock star. And he was just kind of trying to uh, hang out with the guys again and, uh, you know. Remember me? He's I like guess. Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of doing the remember me thing, and uh, but then yeah, then then like we looked him up, and it was like, oh shit, I remember this on our bell. It's the alien. It's, it's that weird obelisk, uh, black spacecraft in the woods, and all this shit. And like I, I didn't even realize how deep it went with the magic bracelet and teleporting live on Mexican television and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, he he. They 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 did this thing on Mexican television where he puts this bracelet on, right? And it supposedly like goes into his skin, and it uh, allows him to teleport. And then he like teleports out, and then teleports back. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> to the crowd's applause. Did you see it? It was really fast. Did you see it? 
I asked Red Pill. I asked Red Pill about him, and actually, it was Red Pill that that first told me about him. I guess on one of the Where, Where Do the Road Go roundtables, and he said that uh, yeah, Musan brought him over to Mexico, and um, that, that's yeah. So that's probably what that what that was from. And he was like incredibly big in like South America because I guess they just believed it for some odd reason. And so I want to get this. So Robert, I mean, you were talking about this, like, uh, well, yeah, when you first asked me about him, you said, do you know anything about Dr. Jonathan Reed? And it was, it was like one of those moments where you suddenly hear some name from the distant past that you haven't thought about. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, wow. Uh, what's old is new again. You know, uh, I remember, distinctly remember the first time I heard him on Art Bell. And the first thing I thought was, well, A, the alien looked a lot like a Muppet. Now, I don't know anything about <laughs> xenobiology, so it could be that aliens look like Muppets. You know, I don't want to uh, rule that out. But uh, I just remember him, his entire demeanor when he was telling the story was very peculiar. Uh, a, he would uh, constantly use the word literally when he was telling the story. It was almost like some weird subconscious tick to convince everyone that what he was saying was true. He would say, I was, I was literally walking through the forest, and then this alien literally jumped out at me, and I literally shot it. And I thought, this guy is, you know, a doctor. <clears throat> and, then, and then every time I heard him tell the story, and I, I heard him tell the story several times, he would, like, cry on cue at the, at the exact same moment. And then uh, I, I actually have a Dr. Jonathan Reed story. I have a friend of a friend who took a great interest in Dr. Jonathan Reed when he first came out of the, the, the woodwork. And this person would have had the uh, wherewithal and the resources to help Jonathan Reed, both legally and financially, if it turned out that Reed's story was correct. Because obviously, yeah. if Reed was telling the truth, that's like a paradigm-busting story. So this person had an interest in actually helping him if the story checked out. So this person, was a friend of a friend of mine, hired a private detective to follow around Jonathan Reed in Seattle. If it wasn't Seattle, it was some city around, you know, in Washington state. And the private detective followed Jonathan Reed around for a few days. And finally, uh, the end of it all was when the detective followed Reed to a hotel. And Reed went to the hotel and went to a bank of phone booths, uh, pay phones. This is like the late 90s. There was a whole line of pay phones in the lobby of the hotel. And Reed went there and got on the payphone, and the private detective went down two payphones down and was eavesdropping on the conversation. And basically, he overheard Reed talking to whoever was on the other end, saying uh, how easy it was to pull off a hoax uh -huh. uh, and how gullible these people were. So that uh -huh. was that was the end of the the, the 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 friend of a friend of mine who I won't name. Uh, basically said, okay, well, you know, we can end it there. That kind of confirmed what I thought in the first place. Um, but the interesting thing about people like Reed is there's a difference between, you know, con artist and disinformant. And, you know, there have been con artists involved in ufology from the very beginning. So there's a difference between, say, you know, Sean David Morton, who, who Greg has certainly uh, has reported on, uh, you know, a convicted fraud. And then there are those people who are disinformers, you know. And so Jonathan Reed, what category does he fall into? Does he fall into just fraud, or is he a disinformer who's been put up to the job? You know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I do. He's a, he's a con. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. 
I would I would put it ninety five percent or more in that category. Yeah. yeah. You're probably correct. Good point. Good point there, Rob. Yeah, and there was these the, the people that were around him, and he said that he said that they 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 always traveled, and like six of them traveled at the same at time. Six. Like that was the that was his security detail, you know, and like like some of these the the, the, the like the one guy that I saw that he didn't look like very vicious to me. Like he could, you know, but but, but he's got this. <laughs> yeah, he's got this whole little group of true believers around him now. It sounds a lot like. Have you ever seen the documentary The King of Kong, which is all about the yeah, guy who has the highest score on Donkey Kong, and he 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 traveled around with an entourage, and he didn't want anyone to knock him off his throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that kind of a vibe, you know, like uh, someone who's well known for something that's very insignificant. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 To Tim or I was surprised that you did, that he was there. I, I when you first told me about it, I thought he was actually um, doing a, an official presentation there. But no, it, no it, yeah, and and when I so when he I, must live in the area. I don't know. That's we the thing. Know, that yeah. that now that lady he said that he, lives he was in Canada. with. Yeah. yeah, he said that, now the lady that he was with said that she actually had lived here in Nashville, or she still lives here in Nashville, and she lived or she lived in Knoxville now or something, and like that's the she was the one that told like the entire story. And and we looked it up. Well, I think he on, did what? What did he just stand there like next to her, like yeah. gaming with Broad? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not just a, let not her in his it. head. Maybe filled in a couple details. You know. Right, right, right. Yeah, jumped in to clarify a couple things. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, but uh, Tim, Greg, do you guys have any thoughts or like memories of this guy? Because this is all kind yeah, of new to me. I know. <laughs> yeah. I he was before my time, dude. I, I, I he was. By the time I got mixed up in all this, he was the infamous Jonathan Reed. So he'd already acquired the infamous part. So I don't know anything. Uh, all, all I know really is from what I read on UFO Watchdog. So okay. <laughs> thankfully okay. I wasn't yeah. mixed up in it. When yeah. he was first, you know, first announced what he was doing, I was the first thing I thought was, "Wow, this guy's full of crap." <laughs> <laughs> Just hearing the story, you're like, yeah. "Nah, yeah, and, yeah." Yes, there is a certain level of common sense that comes into it. Yeah, if there really was something there, you would have never heard about it from the from the channels he went through. Right. Well, I, I, my, my friend told me that when, you know, when he first came out of the woodwork, he would have these um, presentations where he was selling these uh, high-priced, very well-produced books with, that had glossy paper in it, hardback, large, uh, with his photos reproduced in it. And oh my, my friend wondered where he was getting the money for this because they were, they were really lavish books. And so maybe he's correct when he says he lost two hundred thousand dollars. Maybe that's where I went into <laughs> producing these books. Yeah, uh, I'm you know surprised he's still like around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was surprised too. Yeah, like I you mean, said, whoever compared it to like the wrestler, it definitely sounds like that. Especially if he wasn't like a part of the show. That's even kind of weirder. But I mean, Art Bell brought him back, and when Art Bell came back with Dark Matter, he brought him back in 2013, which yeah. I was kind of surprised by. Yeah. But that's when I first. Yeah, heard I remember it. hearing that. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. And when we asked him about it, I asked him about his story. He's like, "Well, you can just listen to Art Bell. Just type in Art Bell, Jonathan Reed, and it's all there online." You know, he just seemed very, you know, just kind of like he didn't really want to talk about it or or, or whatever. Weird. You know, that, that could Weird. be that could you know, be like all part. The whole idea. 
Yeah. <laughs> so he's like passively, passive aggressively looking for attention almost. Where he's like, he wants everyone to notice him, but then he doesn't really yeah. want yeah. to talk about anything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's like, like the moment in The Wrestler where Mickey Rourke is uh, recognized by the wrestling fan, and then suddenly Mickey Rourke gets pissed off and just leaves his job where he's like cutting up meat at the deli. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some, some similar scene in Dr. Reed's life. Yeah. Apparently, Dr. Reed was a gas station attendant before uh, all this happened. That, that's Correct. what I was told by someone who lived in uh, Washington State, that, that, that Dr. Yeah. Reed was uh, a gas station attendant when he was at the same time that he was going on our bell. Uh, I don't know. Did he ever say what the doctor was? He a PhD, was, was he supposedly he was a, a PhD or a medical yeah, doctor? Yeah, he was a child psychologist. And according to like UFO oh, Watchdog, it was saying that some of his early cons were saying that like he was a child psychologist, and and one of his patients would die, and he would get some woman like feel sorry for him about it, and yeah. So he was doing a lot of shit way before he stumbled upon the UFO stuff. <laughs> Sounds like it. Is there anything else we want to mention it, it, about him? It, it makes me think that, you know, like in 2070, someone uh, <laughs> other than Greg Bishop or Adam Go-Rightly will, will write a sort of A is for Adomsky book about the people you met at the Alien yeah. Expo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, what's interesting is we actually gave him the flyer for the conference that we're putting on, so I don't know. Maybe he might show ah. up. <laughs> oh, shit. You never know. <laughs> Heard you guys talking shit about me. Surprise guest, yeah. Well, it was Adam talking shit about you. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a big fan if you're listening. He's going to kill an alien live on stage. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Should we get him on the show? That's, that's, the, that's the question. Play, play back what, what, you're, what we're doing now and then get his reaction to it. Yeah, and then, yeah. And he can't kind of like mess it up now. Through the phone, questions that make no sense whatsoever, and see what he does. <laughs> Just try to like, talk about other things Nick, other than what happened. Nick Nick's uh, red friend told me he was at a conference, and um, I believe I don't think it was Nick Pope, but somebody was giving a very sober question and answer on whatever the UFO <laughs> topic was spoken on. And his friend Jonathan um, Downs, who runs the Center for Fortean Zoology, uh, Center for Fortean, um, uh, I think it's Center for Fortean Zoology. Anyway, in England, uh, he stood up and he he's, um, raised his hand when he was called on. He said, "Sir, if um, if uh, grape jelly is called jam." And strawberry jelly is called jam. Why is orange jelly called marmalade? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of question. You know, just start asking him questions that have nothing to do with what he's talking about, or really absurd questions about what he's talking about. It's like, well, you know, what, but, but, you know, what, what did your mother say when you first talked about this? Or, you know, it's like, how many girlfriends have you had since you perpetrated this weird story? Since you killed the alien? <laughs> like that just to confuse him well we did um we did listen to the art bell interview a little bit on their way back and uh he, the art bell just kept asking him just like just like these questions just to like move the time along because this interview that he did with him in 2013 is over three hours long and wow. and he and he just keeps asking like now was that something you did often was going out and walking in the in the woods when did you do that a lot and you're like, like what's this? <laughs> 
So he and wasn't that's actually back when our sponsors were like frozen bananas. Like that was the only sponsor. Uh, you know, and those radios that you crank. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> Sequeling company. Now back to the show, and the uh, and I guess well, I don't know if he was doing the uh, the the uh, prostate stuff then because it was always are you making too many oh, trips? To the, yeah, so it's probably it was the like miracle prostate formula was uh, one of them. <laughs> yeah, and buying gold was another one. Oh, and, that's a big God, one. I can I can't remember all of them. I've I've heard a lot of them recently because I've been listening to some of these old shows. So at also at the Alien Expo, and this is going over to you, Tim. There was another guy there who had the same last name, incidentally. Even though Jonathan Reed's his real name is not Reed, but uh, so this guy. But do you know his real name? Yeah, it's on UFO Watchdog. Um, oh, okay. Does he explain he why he changed it? John Bradley Rudder. Oh, that's right. But it's R U T T E R, not right. like boat rudder. It's like. Watcher. There's yeah. like a like, seven-part like UFO Watchdog article about him. I mean, it's extensive. It's oh yeah, crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Have yeah. you ever had? Have you ever had um, um, uh, uh, the uh, guy that runs that uh, the site RJ Mufo of, <laughs> on? No, no, we should though. Roy Myers, you should have Roy Myers on. I had him on, and we had we had a great time talking about all this, all these people he's exposed, and especially Morton, who you all know that I had. A, I've yeah. got kind of a of a. a, a uh, a sticking point with him anyway <laughs> yeah you went to the trial you went to the trial and everything but uh, i went to one day of the trial and i went to the sentencing after they found him again after he ran out on his bail yeah that's a crazy story <laughs> yeah, weren't, weren't you at a party with sean david morton and ken thomas and acaria s i wasn't I at heard- that party i wasn't there with acaria and ken I, I guess they were but i've never been at a party with them I've been at conferences where he's like, you know, walked in right in the middle of my talk and yelled. And (laughs) I was working at a working on a TV show and we had a we had a meeting with a potential guest and he walked in right in the middle of the meeting. Like because I think he was trying to get uh, trying to like uh, um, get familiar with one of the producers who was a woman. Um, and they said, this is a private, this is a private meeting, Mr. Morton. He said, okay. And he just sat down. (laughs) (laughs) What, what, uh, what was he yelling at the lecture? Well, it was one of those things where you have to get people to come to your workshop. I hate that setup because it's just, it's such a bald faced, we want more money out of you thing, but I signed up for the conference to speak. So anyway, but you have to give this talk saying, you know, this is what I'm going to talk about in my workshop. So Morton was finished. He left the room. They set me up, and they didn't set it up properly, so I was just kind of stumbling along without slides. And about five minutes into my talk, he walked in in the middle of the room, in the middle of like three or 400 people, stood in the middle of the room while I was talking and yelled, does anybody know where my talk is? I don't know where the room is. Does anyone know? Oh, Jesus. What a carny move. It was right in the middle of a sentence, I was saying. I was like, What? So, and then when it's I just, exactly like he just walked in the room and was like, "Hey, everybody, follow me." Yeah, that's basically what it was. He was just trying to get people to come to his talk. But anyway, yeah, I can't. And I, I did my talk. There were three people at it because <laughs> they were all at Sean David Morton's lecture. 
Yeah, well, I walked out when I was done with the talk and answering questions, you know, the three from the three people that were there or the one from the three people that were there. I walked out the door to go back to my room and Morton's sitting outside with like 50, 60 people around him holding the board outside the door to my talk. And that's not, you know, that's that that's just a happenstance. But like walking in the middle of one of my presentations and just yelling while I was talking, you know, that. So there, there's a few other episodes, but that's why I kind of really have no love for him. And I'm glad he's in jail. And um, when he gets out, he'll probably pull the same stuff. He's trying to pull the same stuff from in jail right now. He's asking for money. Amazing. Adam should uh, interview him in prison. Could be like the Geraldo <laughs> Manson interview. Yeah. I, yeah, Adam, you should definitely do that. <laughs> Yeah. Like carve a swastika into his forehead and gets up on the chair and starts acting crazy. He's like, "Where's my life? They want to know where my lecture is." He's jumping up and down the chair. I don't know if he can get on a chair. The guy, I was when I was at the trial, I saw him leave the room during a break to go to the bathroom, and he barely fit in his suit. Actually, he might lose weight in prison. That's true. Is is his life also in prison? Yes. Not as long, though, because at the, the uh, sentencing during the trial, um, after the trial during the sentencing, she read, uh, she, her lawyer read a big, long statement like, I screwed up. I don't know. You know, He made me do everything. It was stupid of me. I'm never going to talk to him again. Um, you know, I realized I did wrong. I'll never do it again. And Morton's like still trying to argue the trial during the, during the uh, sentencing. That's why he wow. got, I wow. think, like six or eight months more, or maybe more than that. Jeez. Uh, do you know how long he was sentenced? He wasn't. Huh? Do you know how long he's in prison? I don't think it was very long. It was like maybe five or six years or something. I see. It wasn't long at all for the considering what happened. I guess when you defraud yeah. the government out of like of $140,000, I think it was more than that, maybe over a million. You only get to. You only have to go to you know, to uh, to a nice guy prison for you know five years or something. Nice. You should do a, that, Adam. Lawyer, or did he represent himself? Oh, he represented himself, which was why it was so entertaining. Six years. Six years in prison. Yeah. Okay. He represented you. himself, and he and he, and he managed to only get six years. That's pretty amazing. Actually. Yeah. yeah. I might call him if I need help. Yeah, the judge was so patient with him, and I was sitting in the back like, why are you being nice to this guy? He was but ordered to pay $480,322 in restitution to the IRS. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, I mean, I could go on about I'm it. sure he'll pay it all back. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know what he did is as soon as they got the money, they like put it in three or four bank accounts, bought a couple of cars and everything just so they could hide the money and have assets instead of have the money, I guess. Amazing. I, I Wasn't he on Ancient Aliens a lot? Like when it first started? <laughs> I wouldn't have doubt it. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. So I wonder, the, whatever, those shows are probably still being shown. Yeah, whatever anybody wants to say, he's automatically an expert at it. He, he used to find out what the big, it's like remote viewing camp. It's like, oh, I've been a remote viewer forever. It's like, really? You never talked about it before, you know, two or three books on it came out. So that kind of stuff. This is, this, this is becoming a roundtable about charlatans. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I heard Sean David Morton in an interview once say that when he was a kid, when he was ten years old, his parents took him to a dinner party where and at that dinner party was Ayn Rand 
and Stokely Carmichael, and I thought, this should be a one-act play. You know, <laughs> John David Morton at 10, Ayn Rand and Stokely Carmichael. What, what, what dinner party is this? <laughs> I don't know. I guess he took Ayn an, uh, and whatever Rand literally and ran his life like that. So... Let's get into this, Tim, because uh, I don't. I, I want to preface this and say I don't what think I, I, do? I don't think this guy is a charlatan. But uh, <laughs> we also met this guy named Tom Reed, and I know that you've been helping this guy out. So what's what's his uh, what's his deal? Whoa, slow down. Let's not use the term "helping this guy out." I know Tom. He's a good dude. <laughs> uh, I just became acquainted with him uh, recently, like this summer. Um, He's the he. I don't know if he's behind the uh, monument, but he's certainly like the face and the spokesman of the Sheffield, Massachusetts UFO monument, which is like this giant, um, very like massive cinder block that has a plaque on it um, that's dedicated to a UFO event that happened 50 years ago on September 1st. So I don't know whatever whatever I guess 69. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. And there's all this controversy. The monument's massive. Uh, Google it, folks. It's huge. Um, and and it's, this t- it's the height of, like, a person. Uh, and, and anyway, so the, him and the town have been battling for years over this thing. And um, the town t- keeps telling them to move it. They keep finding sort of, like, loopholes to get them to move it. And finally, this third time, the town took it, took it away, and um, hid it in a secret uh-huh. place. Yeah, it's, a good, it's actually kind of a, a funny story, yeah. They hid it in a secret place. Um, Tom, understandably, got very upset. And so then, uh, from what I understand, things got litigious. And uh, I, it's not official yet, but I'm under the impression that the monument should be should be released at some point, uh, hopefully, hopefully by the anniversary, but we're not really sure. So it's quite a saga. It's quite a strange story. It's kind of like... Very befitting of ufology that like the the monument is taken away and hidden in a in a secret warehouse somewhere, um, and there was like fear. Tom was when I talked to him, he was very concerned that they were gonna like use the law, like because no one because no one like technically owns it. It's very murky who owns it. Mm-hmm. Tom said he owned it, but the town says he, they don't know who owns it, and there was concern that like they were gonna just blow it up. Uh, just to get just to get rid of it once and for all, because no one, because like technically no one claimed it in like 30 days, so it was a bit of a little uh, a little mini saga, mini local local UFO saga up here. But it sounds like it's all going to work out for the best. We hope. So yeah. this, this just commemorates so, some just like a sighting that that he and others had that I guess is pretty uh, substantiated. Ah, uh, yeah. He could tell you more about how it's substantiated. Yeah, yeah. I know. He, I know he was profiled on ABC News, um, and he, uh, he, yeah. It's it's gotten a lot of publicity. It's fairly well known. It's called like an otherworldly encounter. That's what that's how they describe it. I think there's like an abduction involved in it. Um, but I really don't know the specifics of like the case per se. All I know is he was mixed up in it as a young kid. So he was an experiencer of the Sheffield UFO incident. And, uh, yeah, he's a good dude. I, you yeah, know? yeah, he's passionate a nice guy. About this. Yeah. He's really passionate about this stuff and, and about the case, which is good because, you know, not a lot of people have heard about it. 
But it's funny because like more people have heard about it thanks to the fact that the monument apparently is like such a nuisance to this like very puritanical town. (laughs) They like they don't. uh, From what I gather, like they don't really want a UFO monument, and it's not like they had to hire like they had to hire like professionals to (laughs) to come and to come and cart this massive concrete block away. You know, it wasn't something you could just, it wasn't something you and I, Adam, could have gone down and, like, picked up and put in the backseat of my Toyota. This right, was like, right. they needed a giant truck and shit. Yeah, just a massive big hunk of stone. Apparently they don't want to turn their town into a place that makes buttloads of money off of uh, UFO. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Every yeah. other it's like, yeah, bring it on. Hey, you know, it's a big thing. Look at Roswell. I mean, they, they're right. they're rolling in. You know. Yeah, that, Exeter too. A lot of these towns are leaning into it now. There's there's a documentary in there somewhere. I think uh, Kent Burns should do a documentary on, on it. On the stone. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe I'll do one. It's not too far from me. Maybe I'll drive out there and interview these people. <laughs> All you do is like take a bunch of still shots and then you know uh, place music really, really, really slowly and pan over the, the still shots. There you go. <laughs> Multi-part Netflix documentary. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight episodes. All right, so let's <laughs> so let's turn, um, Seraphiel. Oh if you've got any questions that you want to ask that uh, we did not get to in our woke in the nineties for these guys. Yeah. Um, what were some of the I guess, uh, you know, if you guys heard or are familiar with what we did for Woke in the 90s, we kind of talked about all this uh, alternative conspiracy, normal, or I mean, conspiracy culture uh, in the 1990s. And we talked about the zine scene a little bit with uh, Adam Go Rightly and stuff. But were there any, uh, do you guys have any favorite zines from the time? Or I know, Bishop, you were pretty involved with that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. My favorite zines had nothing to do with UFOs. They were like, I like Crap Hound. Um, which was a um, Sean Terra Hachi, I think. He is also the person behind. Um, oh, what was that great site, um, uh, Liar Town? But during the Zine thing back in the '90s, he had something called Crap Hound, which was just basically clip art for people doing zines. It was just pages and pages and pages of weird clip art that you could use in your zine. That's um, cool. so, so that was amazing. Um, there was one called. Um, uh, there were tons of them. In fact, there was a whole magazine devoted to the, a zine devoted to the zines called Fact Sheet Five. Oh yes, um, yes, I remember that. Yeah, it would review all the zines. I I got favor, or my my friends and I, uh, excluded middle, got favorably reviewed a few times, which is fine because most of the zines were favorably favorably reviewed, except for just ones that were absolute ju- garbage. Which there were a few of those too. There was one magazine that was all just about. Uh, what was it called? I remember the the, the um, I can't remember the name of the magazine, but the, the review said a silly zine about poops and farts. <laughs> that was the whole zine. That's all it was about: poops and farts. So you know, you can make a zine about anything, but the you know the really good ones like um, uh, Crash Collusion. My friend West Nations did that. Uh, my friend Miles did um, Elf Infested Spaces, which was amazing. Um, I tended to like, you know, meet and talk to the people that had, you know, uh, magazines that were kind of simpatico with us. Um, uh, uh, P- Paranoia came out of that whole scene. Oh yeah. Um, um, 
God, there were so many good ones. But yeah, I mean, it was a huge, huge movement. And I, I didn't even like, I didn't like go out, you know, my friends, I didn't go, there's a lot of zines coming out. Let's go do a zine. You know, kind of like, there's a lot of podcasts. Let's do a podcast. <laughs> it didn't happen that way for us. We just, we remember, I remember we were sitting at, at uh, my friend Peter Stencil's house having a party and we're drinking beer. Robert Larson, the other co-founder was there. And we were talking about UFOs and talking about the uh, uh, the magazines that were out there, the publications, and we just like, God, they all suck. They don't talk about anything we want to talk about. They don't talk about Terrence McKenna. They don't talk about psychedelics. They don't talk about. They don't mix it in with with uh, conspiracy. They don't mix it in with um, um, like weird science stuff. They don't mix it in with uh, whatever. Uh, they're not academic. They're not. Uh, they don't think about what they're doing. It's just like silly stories. And we thought, well, let's. Why don't we do one? So we did, and that's how it started. It was just like, we don't like the zines that are out, out right now. Let's just do our own. So, And then we found was, out um, we're doing it, so it was amazing. There was a lot of interesting uh, intersection between, say, punk rock zines and conspiracy. Uh, some of the first mm -hmm. conspiracy articles I read was in Maximum Rock and Roll. Uh, yeah. Which would often have articles by, like, Sherman Skolnick about yeah. the uh -huh, I love Sherman Skolnick. Yeah, or, or uh, um, what was the other one? Um, Flipside uh, would have conspiracy articles in it, even though it was primarily a music magazine. And yeah. I liked all the ones that started out as book catalogs, like like Newspeak, which was related to Paranoia. Paranoia grew out of Newspeak because that was Jones, uh, Joan D'Arc's bookstore in Providence, Rhode Island. That's so right. it started out as a book catalog, but then they were adding articles to it. So it became a conspiracy zine or, or Flatland, Jim Martin's Flatland uh, oh, yeah. out of Fort Bog. Uh, the same thing. It, and so there was, uh, yeah, there was one called Prevailing Winds, which, which lasted uh, a short amount of time. Uh, Paranoia, I wrote, the first thing I ever published was in Paranoia issue number 12. In 1996. Wow. Uh, <laughs> was there any effort to What was that? Was there any effort to preserve any of this, like scanning and things like that? I know there's a lot of, like, in the kind of the punk rock and metal scenes and stuff like that. There's a lot of, uh, like, reissues of, of books with, like, all the, 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 you know, all the issues in, like, the book form. Is there anything like that in the... The conspiracy world, because it's some great shit. That's sure funny. I was just thinking about that and thinking that that should be a, um, that's like a future Toshin book, revised <laughs> yeah. yeah, art, totally. art book, you know, with all these magazines, including Excluded Middle and 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 all those from the, there was there was one called Critique, which was sort of a more uh, high high end conspiracy journal, uh, and there were so there were so many. You said you wrote for uh, Ken Thompson's too, the Steam Shovel Press. Yes, I wrote for, uh, there was one issue of Steam Shovel Press. I had an article in there about, uh, it was called The Kaipa Conspiracy. And it was all about the overlapping world of c conspiracy theory and, uh, and the, the world of comic books, uh, including the little-known connection between Jack Kirby and uh, that Jack Kirby's best friend was the, uh, I'm trying to remember his name right now, uh, Jack Kirby's best friend growing up in the Bronx, you know, Jack Kirby created Captain America yeah. and all the other Marvel characters. Jack Kirby's best friend uh, was the was the man who was shot um, uh, in the um, during the during the entire Iran Contra uh, uh, conspiracy. Uh, there was 
an incident aboard a ship with these terrorists uh, who came aboard the ship and they killed uh, an older elderly Jewish man whose name oh, is this the, the Achille, is this the Achille Lauro? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. And uh, the man's name was um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But he he was Jack Kirby's best friend, and it was just it was it was weird the connection that uh, you know. A secret group in the basement of the White House, led by Oliver North, eventually leads to Jack Kirby's best friend getting shot on a boat. <laughs> you know, the, the creator of Captain America, his best friend from childhood, was shot by a bunch of terrorists who were actually in league with uh, Oliver North, who's working out of the White House uh, in the basement. Uh, that kind of weird connection sort of fascinated me at the time. So that was one of the little nuggets uh, out of which that particular article grew. Klinghoffer? Yes, Leon, Leon Klinghoffer. Klinghoffer. Yeah, that was he was Jack Kirby's best friend in the Bronx back in the '30s. When you were doing, uh, when you, any of you were doing zines, what kind of crazy correspondence would you get from the mail? I'm sure you'd get some like real wackos contacting you. Uh, I, I, I think sometimes I was the wacko contacting hey. other people. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, uh, I, I, I had a conversation with, with Joan, uh, Joan Ratcliffe, Joan D'Arc, who's the editor or publisher of Paranoia yeah. Magazine. Yeah. She was really impressed when I told her that I had written a letter to Michael A. Hoffman, yeah. who wrote Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. Oh, he yeah. published this oh little wow. Pamphlet. He published a little pamphlet that was supposedly about Masonic assassinations, famous people who had been killed by the Freemasons. And the first chapter was on Joseph Smith. The second chapter was on... Um, uh, the uh, Captain Morgan, yeah, with Captain William Morgan, uh, and Edgar Allan Poe, and the first two chapters, I was able to track his logic, but the Edgar Allan Poe one, it was basically his argument was that Edgar Allan Poe had published uh, the Cask of Amontillado, which was all about a man being bricked up behind masonry, and that the, this angered the Freemasons, so they they assassinated Edgar Allan Poe for making fun of them in the Cask of Amontillado. So I wrote a letter to Michael Hoffman, and I said. I'm not quite following your logic here. <laughs> would you like to Would you like to expand on it? <laughs> and then he wrote this. Uh, Joan was shocked that he actually wrote me back this long screed, telling me how I I obviously didn't understand English. Uh, oh wow! And that all the all, all the evidence was right there. How, how could you miss it? Uh, and then, then Joan told me a story that that she'd been told by Adam Parfrey that Adam Parfrey had thrown some sort of party. Uh, and, and that he, he invited Michael Hoffman to the party because he had published some of this stuff, you know, in like a, either Apocalypse Culture or yeah, Secret yeah. Press. Um, and and uh, Hoffman had shown up with his young son, and uh, Adam had a uh, picture on the wall that was framed of this close-up of a snake, like a serpent opening its mouth. It was a photograph, but it was framed. And Michael Hoffman turned to his son and pointed at the framed photo of the snake and said, there's the true face of the Jew. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Parfrey is Jewish, of course, was Jewish. Yeah. Uh, so th these are the colorful characters that... Uh, one would interact with because uh, you find yourself that that was a wonderful thing about Paranoia Magazine on the table contents page you'd have one person who was like fairly sane then you'd have like the crazy anti-Semite and then you'd have like the militia kind of guy with with their point of view mm -hmm. or then you turn the page and there's something by you know one of Tracy Twyman's early articles so it was this absolute like anarchy 
of information and conflicting points of view. I thought that was the beautiful thing about it. Yeah. There was no editorial attempt to say, oh, this is not valid for this magazine. Uh, there was no purity test for the contributors. Yeah, Ken would publish uh, anything that was you know, coherent. Even if he didn't agree with it, Ken Thomas, he would publish it. It's like, Ken, yeah. come on. It's, no, you know what? That, this person needs a voice. Like, okay, Ken, I don't think they do, but you know what? <laughs> to you for doing it. I mean, just for the, like you said, Robert, just for the simple element of, you know, balance and anarchy and all the other stuff, just the, just the craziness of it. Yeah, Ken, it, it was, it was, Ken uh, mentioned that that the, that kind of tactic on uh, on the art on the show. Yeah, I think he, what time. do you call it, like politically schizophrenic conspiracy or something like that? Yeah, I forgot his, his yeah. word for it, but that's why that's why you know we got along so well. We get along so well. He was the best man at my wedding, and for for that matter, it ah. seems like we all kind of came from that that way of thinking, and now it's just everything's so politicized where people won't even you know look at anything if it doesn't subscribe you know absolutely to their view. Um, oh, so. yeah. I, ha I have a friend who uh, I teach with at uh, CSC Long Beach. He's a, a published poet, a fine writer. His name's Clint Margrave. And he, he, he published an article uh, on, a on a website called Quillette. And the whole point of the article was simply that he advocating free speech. And it was particularly about this particular poet who had been sort of pushed out of the poetry community because he admitted that when he was younger, he had been part of this kind of white supremacy gang, but that he completely... Yeah. And I don't hold those views anymore. But he just he got pushed out of the poetry community for even admitting that he had once ha held these views. And so yeah. Clint wrote this article saying, "Well, that's you know this is kind of ridiculous. I mean, if if if, if a former fascist is not allowed to change, then a fascist simply remains a fascist, <laughs> right? That's that's sort of counterproductive. And for writing this article." He was attacked by all these other poets on Twitter saying, how dare you? You're I mean, <laughs> actually accusing him of being a Nazi wow. because he, was, he wrote an article advocating free speech. And so advocating free speech equals Nazi right. yeah. in certain areas of the Twitter mob. I am in no way right wing, but that is absolutely like that, that's absolutely wrong. I mean, I would I, people may think I'm morally uh, I have a moral. Uh, what's you call it? Uh, I am not. Uh, I'm advocating moral uh, uh, ambiguity. Uh, ambiguity, yes, and I'm not at all. I mean, it's absolute free speech, no matter um, what. Especially if you disagree with it, this is so not even a, a original point of view. But especially if you disagree with it, should be allowed to be because it takes the mystique and the, the, everything away from. I remember people used to laugh at Nazis, and that was the best. <laughs> that was yeah. the best. Um, you know, right. of reaction you could possibly Absolutely. have. Absolutely. People get mad Absolutely. At well, I think not allowing for redemption is really some of the worst. And that, you know. that too. That's, That's pretty worse. bad too. And and also the, the the mere act of suppressing the point of view, as, yeah. as Carl Jung would say, you, the more you suppress the shadow, the stronger it becomes. Exactly. It's completely the opposite of the effect that they're going for. I, sometimes, since I have a conspiratorial mind, I sometimes wonder what effect are they going for? <laughs> are, yeah. are they in fact aiming for the opposite? Are, are they actually pro-fascist, and that's why they're doing this? Yeah, exactly. California Uberalis, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But that you know, the Jones uh, editorial um, uh, decision to allow any point of view, as long as it was you know uh, semi-coherent. Yes. 
I think, uh, the most valuable editorial point of view to have. I mean, that, that was sort of the point of the muck books, which then became Feral House, was this anarchy of information. You'd have books written by, you know, uh, the Nation of Islam, uh, and then and books written by Nazis, and it was all put together. It was just yeah. these were extreme points of view, and it wasn't coming from any particular um, area on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he published like Nambla type stuff too, which is what it was anathema then. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. Right then it was an anathema. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and you know, and it just just yeah. to push that boundary, it's like you know, yeah, it's disgusting. It probably no, you know, nobody should be um, allowed to act on it. But the fact that he would publish anything that was even near that kind of stuff was kind was I I <laughs> though I didn't agree with it, I applauded the the. The, uh, the 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 act of doing it, and, and, and as you say, uh, uh, it's 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 not an original thought, uh, but it, uh, unfortunately, it needs to be said and that is the free the, the speech you agree with is not the speech you need to defend. You need yes. to defend the speech that you don't agree with. Yeah. And we that probably all believe understood. in that free marketplace of ideas, and I don't think I don't think many people believe in that anymore. It's really scary. And, and I, I should point out because I, you know, sometimes I'll listen to say conservative AM talk radio, and they'll be talking about the millennials and the snowflakes and et cetera. Yeah. And I, I deal with I deal with eighteen year olds, I deal with millennials all the time, hundreds of them every year because I teach at CSU Long Beach. I teach, teach creative writing classes. I teach English composition. So ninety five percent of them are not like that. <laughs> In fact, they're as frustrated by this as they are, particularly when I'm in a creative writing class. They're, when I, on the first day, I sit in the creative writing class and I say, hey, listen, uh, you can write whatever you want in here. Uh, uh, this, is, this is not a safe space <laughs> because I can't predict what anyone else is going to write, and you can't have a creative writing class and have it be a, quote, safe space at the same time. That's impossible because creativity is not safe. Uh, everyone has to be allowed to explore whatever they're going to explore, and we're going to critique it just based on the fact is, does it work as a story? Uh, is this something that could be sold? Uh, and, and I have people come up to me and they say, oh, you know, thank God, I was so relieved to hear that, because there are so many workshops at the university level where they'll tell you on the first day, this is what you can't do. And they'll hand you a piece of paper. I have colleagues who do this. They'll hand out a piece of paper with bullet points of all the things you cannot write about. <laughs> in a creative writing class. So I, I talk to 18-year-olds all the time, millennials, who are absolutely frustrated uh, by this attitude, and there's a, there's a small vocal minority who uh, will have this kind of crazy, insane point of view where they equate free speech with, with Nazism. <laughs> well. I have a friend that teaches at um, UC Irvine, and he says exact, and he teaches uh, anthropology. Um, he, but he said the exact same thing you did, and I was kind of surprised. He said, "Look, most of the kids aren't like that. No, it's just not. That you hear about from any point of view really is the loudest, yeah. in general, the most, the most, the least um, um, subtle uh, people. You don't, you, you don't hear from people that are more circumspect. Circumspect people don't yell a lot, right? Well, that's right. And the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, and particularly yeah. universities are." are frightened of, of lawsuits. Yeah. So they, they will absolutely capitulate uh, if someone complains. Um, and 
it, it, uh, it, it, that, that aspect of it can be, can be frustrating. I had a, a student in a creative writing class came to me, and he's, he's a musician. He plays uh, in a band. He was playing at the House of Blues in Anaheim, and he came to me, and he said he was going to be on the, the college radio show to promote the appearance that he, that he and his band were, were playing. And he said to me, I've got to watch what I say during the interview. Uh, and, and now keep in mind, it's not like he was saying, gee, I have to hide the fact that I'm actually a white supremacist. <laughs> you know, that's not what he was saying. He's saying, I have to make sure I don't say something that will be misconstrued. Yeah, self-censorship. Self yeah, right. Yeah, that's the worst of it. And, and so when I do a creative writing class, I really try to like, beat that. Uh, out of them, like you can't you, you can't be writing worried about if I'm going to offend the Eskimo gay activist Christian fundamentalist in the corner of the room. Uh, if you're thinking about that, then you, you're you're not going to be creative. You just have to write what you want to write, and that doesn't mean you're not going to get criticized for it or people aren't going to jump on you. But, uh, so you have to be willing to take that, of course. But the whole I, I have to be very careful in the in the workshop to tell people, listen, you're now you're not critiquing the person who wrote the story. <laughs> you're not right. you're not doing a moral judgment on the character and what they said. Does it work as a story? And I ha I have to do that more and more lately. Uh, Robert, going back to uh, you know, you said you wrote a letter to Hoffman and everything. I never miss an opportunity to talk about uh, as far as the the popularization of. Uh, James Shelby Downer and those writings were in those first apocalypse culture books, of course. What was, what was kind of the ripples of that throughout the conspiracy community? Because I know it changed a lot of the ways a lot of the conspiracy works, and and the whole synchromistic idea really had a had a lasting impact that continues today. But I was just wondering about your your personal take on any of that. You know, I'm glad you asked me that because I want to make something clear. Even though, what I, despite what I just said about Michael Hoffman, I like Michael Hoffman's writing. <laughs> I don't. I don't share his political point points of view, uh, but uh, his writing at times reaches a kind of level of weird, dark poetry yes. uh, that I've not seen in anyone else. And uh, you can it, you it, can see it in the you can see how much of it was probably his writing in those downer manuscripts. Yes, I suspect that that much of it was. I think he was taking uh, Downard's information right. and kind of reshaping it. Uh, and uh, I don't know if that's the case with the um, what is the book that Downard wrote and Feral House published? Carnivals of Life and Death. Carnivals of Life and Death, which I I understand. In fact, uh, Adam, uh, did you not interview Adam Go Rightly, and he right. said he was working on a uh, a reconstructed version of that? No, he has the manuscripts for basically the rest of the yeah. autobiography. It's part two. Yeah, yeah. that, that I'm. I'm and he's working on that right now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very looking eager. forward to that. Absolutely. I, and so I, my question is, do you, does anyone here know why Adam Parfrey didn't publish the entire manuscript? Why did it just cut off? I don't know. Go Rightly no, might have a better uh, take on that because, you know, well, he won't. We don't know where Go Rightly got all that, but I'm sure he's he was in communication with somebody. I missed the beginning of it. The, the the carnivals of life and death by James Shelby Downard because when Adam Parfrey oh. published it at the end it says something like the rest of the manuscript was lost or he never finished it so I was surprised when later on Adam interviewed Adam Go Rightly and Go Rightly said oh yeah I know the entire manuscript does exist it's like double the length <laughs> of the published version 
So I just wondered why Adam Prophery chose not to publish the entire manuscript. I, Greg, do you know anything about that? Or no, I'm kind of racking my brain about it. But no, I've never heard anything about it. I'm, uh, uh, Go rightly may know. Well, I think there's um, just so much material. I, I some of the got in with people like um, like uh, who did the. Uh, um, oh no, I can't remember. I, I remember seeing Parfrey get in a fight with a guy on the elevator. It was this guy that wrote, um, oh, what was it? It was that giant uh, uh, self-published manuscript. Uh, I can't remember the name of the, the, the uh, some my, something mind control. Wow. Okay, I'm totally lost. If I think of it, I'll, I'll say later. But go ahead. Uh, you're talking about the. You're not. You're not talking about Jim Keith, are you? No. The, oh, okay. Operation Mind Control, I think it was called. Hmm. Board? Walter Board? Okay, it wasn't Board. It was somebody else. Yeah, that was Board's, yeah. Um, I don't think anybody ever actually published that. It was just that um, It was just that uh, manuscript that was running around, a few different copies of it. Well, Which, uh, Operation Mind Control? Yeah, that, did it, was that ever published as full book? Oh, oh that, that, it had originally been published back in 1978 by a major publisher. I can't remember who it was. It was like Simon Schuster or something like that. And then later on, uh, Jim Martin published the, the Flatland edition, which was an expanded version, but it was in a, it was in a spiral-bound notebook. That's the one I was thinking of. Okay, okay. I didn't know the, the total history of it. Um, ask and me about conspiracy, not so much. <laughs> What'd you say? Parfrey was yelling at someone over it. What, what was going on? No, not over Walter Boward. It was um, I can't remember the guy's name. He was uh, he he had a uh, manuscript about uh, uh, his his uh, adventure or something with mind control in his life, and he came to speak at the UFO conference once in Laughlin, and Par Parfrey had given him an advance to do a book, and he he. Um, he, ran, he like ran in the elevator and 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 yelled at Parfrey when when Parfrey said, "You gonna give me my money back or finish the book?" I Damn. can't remember the name. Of the, I can't remember the name of the writer. I could probably Google it and find out pretty quick. Well, I think part two didn't happen on Feral House. I think there's just so much material. I think he intended to put out part two, but I think that uh, part one of Carnivals and Life and Death was kind of a flop. I think. I think it just that, didn't that's sell well. I. I I actually, um, I do, does anyone know if Michael Hoffman contributed to the writing of that, or was that purely Downard? It seems like it's, well, I, I don't know. There's, there, a lot of it is written very simply and seems like it's mostly just Downard, but then there's a yeah. few, like, introductions and things as total Hoffman channeling, so. It's, it's, it's some crazy shit. It really is. And then, I think that Brandon and Hoffman kind of have some links there, too. I've done my own little research, and, uh. There's definitely some uh yeah gets a little sketchy. I, I, when but, I was uh, when I was reading Carnival's Life and Death, I kept thinking I want to see the movie of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to oh, yeah. see the scene where the kid like kills like fifty Klansmen with with a <laughs> his little with pop a gun. Shot yeah, with a pop gun. Yeah, and the, and the weird thing about it was on a psychological level was there are all these scenes where as a kid, like he's a ten year old kid, and he's he manages to like to wipe up the floor with all these full adult Klansmen. And then, and then later on when he was like 22 or something, two guys come up and, and grab him on the bridge and throw him in the back of the car. And I was thinking, why was he more powerful when he was 10? He was like a young uh, Indiana you know, like, Jones. 
Much. Yeah, you're like Popeye or something. How, how were the ripples uh, in the conspiracy community at the time that King Kill 33 really got, I guess, uh, a lot bigger and stuff? How, what was that like? I mean, I know it was pretty influential. I, well, I think it overlapped with the, you know William Cooper's going around with the with the the film saying that the chauffeur uh, killed Kennedy. You know, because okay. so, Cooper would talk a lot about the Freemasons. Uh, and then, then you had this document, King Kill, Thirty Third Degree, which also pointed the finger at the Freemasons. So I, I think there was an, an interesting overlap of um, conspiracy theory there, with with Cooper and uh, Michael Hoffman kind of uh, making the rounds at the same time. Uh, and uh, I, th- I mean, I think people still refer to uh, Hoffman and King Kill, Thirty Third Degree. Though they may not know that that's what they're referring to. You know, there's probably been a lot of watered-down iterations of it that, fl- that have floated mm. over the Internet, and, and people don't even know what the original source material is anymore. Have you heard the... I think uh, it's actually still influential. You know, you know, Brandon actually just released the... You can get the CD from him of those recordings called Serious Rising that uh, Robert Anton Wilson mentioned in Cosmic Trigger. Uh, you can actually get that from Brandon now. He made, like, a little commercial uh, CD. Yes, in fact, I'm holding it in my hand yes. as we yes. speak, and uh, Lauren Coleman sent me yeah. a copy. So cool. thank you, Lauren Coleman. You're, you're, you're with like minds tonight. Yeah. Uh, I, re- yeah. I really want a photocopied, uh, you know, circulated King Kill 33. Uh, I, I really want like an original, you know, photocopied, circulated in the underground right. version of, uh, I, for my collection. I I've got everything I'd- else. Uh, I remember Adam Gowrightly mentioning uh, in his uh, interview that he did with you, Adam, uh, yeah. that I guess Adam Parfrey had made some sort of editorial edits in the original manuscript of of Carnivals of Life and Death. Yeah, and I do remember him I saying wondered, that, yeah. I wondered what those edits were and why they were made, if it was just purely for narrative purposes or um, I, guess we, I guess we don't know. You should harass Gowrightly because... Uh... I am, yes. and uh, eagerly awaiting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to go over? Oh, no, we should probably move off a of downward before okay. we just go into this rabbit hole. Yeah, it'll just be downward. So, so here's a real, here's a here's a real serious conspiracy for you guys. And um, I regret in the first um, the first roundtable that we did that I did not cover this. But since we lost power right in the middle of it. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to cover it. And one of the big things that I remember from the nineties, so like late eighties, early nineties, was the whole Elvis is alive conspiracy. So Tim, I know that you wrote an article about that a couple of years ago. What's one more time, I'm sorry. I lost you there for a minute. Oh, the Elvis is alive conspiracy. And you wrote an article yeah, about what it a couple of years ago. It yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting uh it's an interesting case. I, uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It's it's weird. I interviewed uh, Mickey Moran. What I find interesting about it is it's sort of like um, uh, it's like a dying, dying realm, if you will. I don't know if yeah. you call it even a field or anything. It used to be. I, I kind of checked out just now. I apologize because like I, I, I'm unaware of like most of the stuff you guys were talking about, except for King Kill Thirty Three, which I did know was from Hoffman. Um, but I, I was—I came way after the uh, zine scene and all that shit. I'm—I'm a—I'm a—I'm a, I'm a baby of the internet, so I'm—I'm uh, I'm like, what the hell are these guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, but yeah, no. So uh, the Elvis thing, I got interested in that because I like doing as much weird shit as possible on my show. And um, what I like, uh, Mickey Moran's like the last dude left, essentially. And it's an interesting thing. You know, it sprung up when Elvis died, obviously. Um, and connected to like what you guys were talking about just now, you know, uh, what amazed me, because I wasn't around for the zine thing, so I have no idea really, like, I can't quite comprehend it, you know? I think it's like talking to a kid today about, like, what life was like before the internet, so. Like, but I, I was blown away that apparently there were, like, you know, not just, like, a zine, but, like, four or five, like, competing Elvis is Alive zines, which I wish and hope somebody has somewhere, because that would be so much fun to read. I wonder, like, how you could possibly, like, stretch that theory out into, you know, just a zine, just a zine about that. It's like, Jesus, dude, how, what do they even put in this thing? Uh, you know, and it's, the whole thing was pretty popular for a while. There were books, there were TV shows and shit, and um, it was, like, I think a major network TV special type thing. Yeah, there were two yeah, of them. Bill, there were Bill two Bixby. of them, actually, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting to me is uh, is that, like, it's dead, essentially. Like, there's no... It was once, I don't, know, I don't know how much you'd call it, like, thriving. It, it was a community. Let's just say it was a community. Yeah. And now, seems to be just Mickey Moran, you know, maybe somebody else, maybe, you know, one or two other people sort of just carrying it on, which is, to me, like, fascinating, because I, I, I knew you wanted to talk about this tonight, and I was kind of thinking about it as I was driving around today, and it was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit like that that's kind of turning that way now. It's kind of sad. It's interesting. It's very, like, it is. it makes me more sad the more I think about it. But it's like, back in the day, like, I, I, there were people who, there, there was, I, I presume there were, like, more people talking about, like, the fucking Bermuda Triangle than there are now, which is, like, nobody. Yeah, yeah. And, like, spontaneous human combustion. And, like, uh, and this, the Elvis is Alive thing. It's, like, just kind of funny and sad in a way that it's, like, these fields, these theories, these ideas... Uh, they're only being carried on by, like, one or two people that are left. And they're not, you know, they're not young people, you know. I think I interviewed one dude who was, like, a young moon hoax guy. And that was it, you know. But even moon hoax is like that. So it's just kind of interesting. It's like these things flourish, you know. They couldn't really hang on in the Internet age or something. And the, the people who kind of shepherded the, the research, they died or moved on with their lives. That's what happened with this Elvis thing. I mean, they were like players, you know, in the in the field of Elvis is Alive that would be, you know, equivalents of like a Stan Friedman or something. You know, it was like, you know, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the, the, I totally seasoned, get that. Yeah. the seasoned veteran of Elvis is Alive. Right. Research. They're like, they're all fucking gone, you know. Let's not so, forget the Bill Bixby documentary from the late 80s. Yeah, of which there were two. <laughs> there were actually two of those. Yeah. Oh, there were two? Yeah, there were two of them. Yeah. I, I did not know you can that. You can still <laughs> find them on YouTube, actually. Ah, I, I remember when the first one aired. Well, here's the other part that I find kind of interesting, too, in a sense. This is like the only... I guess there'll be other conspiracies down the line, because other people think that other people fake their death. But it's like, this is the, like... Essentially, the conspiracy theory has to die, uh, like, it, within the next, like, 10 or 15 years. Like, it, it naturally will die out, because... It, what difference will it make if Elvis faked his death if it was like a hundred if he would have been like a hundred years old? It's like okay, right, you just know. Right, right, right. At some point, it becomes a pointless conspiracy theory. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's like he's not. He's eight. He would be like eighty-two or eighty-four or something now. It's like he's not yeah. coming back. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, he, when he would have been in like a hundred, it's like he's not going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to show up at a hundred. It's over. He didn't. You know, if he well, faked you know, his perhaps, death. Uh, perhaps fans of Bubba Hotep will be interested in delving into the theory. <laughs> And the other part that's funny is like the evidence for the Elvis is alive thing is like mis- like these like weird mistakes and shit. And it's like, why would you go through all the trouble of faking your death if you were like the most famous celebrity in the world, only to tip off, only only to leave? Why would you leave little clues behind? Like <laughs> that doesn't really to me that doesn't like make any sense. It's like you're really going out on a limb by faking your fucking death, Elvis. Like don't push it, dude. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a good thought, point. A I never, really, I never really thought about that. But yeah, he would be like I think eighty three now or eighty four years old. And so, yeah. you know, you know, if if he is, even if he would still be alive, he was an extremely old man, and he old. might just be dead anyway. It's pretty he, old for how you know, how hard he was partying, right? If he even faked it in in nineteen seventy seven, you know, he'd probably be dead. He'd probably be dead anyway. What I found interesting about looking at some of that stuff from the, especially the Bill Bixby documentaries, or the, really, I hesitate to call them documentaries, was some of the some of the like stupid um reenactments that they did which were very much in line with all the stuff that you saw on TV around that same time like you know unsolved mysteries and all that and it had that same kind of like mysterious and like ghostly air about it like there's one where the lady goes up and she takes like Elvis's picture and he just kind of like he just kind of like runs he just kind of yells and then like all these guys come out they almost look like government guys and they like escort him away and there's another one where elvis is talking to this woman and he like walks out into the into the into the light you know basically and then there was uh there was another one that's on there where it, it, it's almost like a Bigfoot sighting. Like this woman is taking pictures of Elvis, and it looks like Bigfoot pictures, you know. And it's so very much in the same vein of Unsolved Mysteries and Search of sightings. I think that was a little later, but all that kind of stuff had that same kind of feeling. And what I compared it to um, that Elvis is alive thing, and I didn't know then was it was almost this complete ripoff of the um, the UFO UFO cover up live. Oh really? Yeah, it had well, that probably, same yeah, they, kind of feeling to it. Yeah, because it, like, it was like same network and shit. I bet you they saw how successful that was. Yeah, they just kind of did yeah. it for like something. They're like, what? What could be crazier than that? Like, well, how about fucking Elvis is alive? Right. It was like two or three live documentary. Was it a live event? Like, yeah, it was. A, it was a live event, and, and and like I watched a little bit of it with my dad because we remember it. Like, I was probably like thirteen or fourteen when it came. I'm sure on. it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's gotta there. Be on YouTube. And like, it, it it's live, and like a Howard Stern prank caller calls in. <laughs> <laughs> that was Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it just it, it, it just it way. just had the same kind of production values that you just see in like all these kind of paranormal shows, and I, you know it's just it, that, that you still see in those kind of yeah. Paranormal I was gonna shows. say they still I don't watch any of these shows, but yeah. the last show I remember was like UFO Files, and that was kind of the whole thing. I remember watching, I remember seeing it on at Greg's house when I was there, and like John Greenwald was like a producer on it, and he must have like doubled as a fucking reenactment actor because they did like a scene. <laughs> 
of like a UFO event, and like you know, a guy in his car and like the light going over it, and we're both like kind of like glanced at the TV and we're like, that's fucking John Greenwald. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember that or not, Craig, but it was uh, it was funny. Like some R&B guy looking through files or something. Yeah, it was like something like that. And my wife said he looks like. Um, um, why can't I think of names anymore? What's wrong with me? He looks Getting a little old. like um, Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin or something. <laughs> yeah, he does kind of. I could see that. Yeah. Well, Tim, you said you're really a you know a. a a product of the 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 internet getting into this stuff. What are some of those early internet communities that that really kind of tipped you off to all this weird shit? Oh, jeez. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't really mixed up in a lot of communities. Uh, Back when I got into it, I got into, like, I listened to Coast to Coast, and Coast to Coast had, like, a message board, and I posted on there all the time. And that's essentially how I got in with Coast to Coast in the long run. But, uh... Yeah, but that was about it. I didn't really get into, like, above Top Seeker or anything like that. It was different back then. I mean, I guess there are some – that's the only one I can really think of as, like, sort of a a thriving, like, community that I remember. There were other ones, like Book of Thoth, I think, was one that was kind of, like, kicking around. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really – I ended up just making my own little spot, pretty much. Cool. That's the way to do it. Kind of had to. Well, is there anything else that we really want to really want to cover, or any thoughts on uh, Robert? Do you got any thoughts on the Elvis is Alive stuff? <laughs> I don't. Have, I, I I'm still reeling from the fact that there was a second Bill Bixby yeah. Elvis documentary. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to run now to YouTube and and, and find it. <laughs> and, uh, I I I was just thinking as you were talking, uh, it just occurred to me connecting back to what we were saying about about the zines in the '90s. Was what's interesting is we we started out talking about Dr. Jonathan Reed and 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 how what's what's old is new again. Uh, I recently went to an event that was in Long Beach and I had found a flyer for it on campus and it said Long Beach Zine Fest, and I thought, oh, what's this? So I went and there was a gigantic room and I went in. There were all these kids. I mean, you know, like late teens, early twenties, and they were all sitting there selling their zines. Uh, wow. Very, very few of them were conspiratorial, but there were there were a few uh, that were more like paranormal uh, in nature. Uh, but th- in fact, I ran into a former student, uh, one of my creative writing students, who had taken two of the stories that she'd written in my workshop the previous semester, and she stapled them together. Uh, you know, photocopied them and stapled them together, and she was selling them for like a dollar each. Uh, and she'd drawn her own little illustrations in it, and it was a room full of this stuff. And I realized that. Uh, all these kids had uh, understood something that Marshall McLuhan knew. Marshall McLuhan said that every technology, when pushed to its extreme, will flip into its opposite function. So at the beginning of the Internet was advertised as this is the way to get around the guardians at the gate, you know, the gatekeepers. This, it's, it's the Wild West. You can say whatever you want on the Internet now. Now these kids who are, like, in their early 20s realize, oh, no, if I post something on Twitter or on Instagram and someone takes offense to it, like that can be the end of my entire life. And so yeah. they realized, oh wait, if I just photocopy this stuff and sell it for a dollar each, if you can't link to it, it doesn't exist to these trolls who will try to <laughs> yeah. bring you down. And if you can't link to it, it just doesn't exist. So they, they've gone back to the zines <laughs> and they realize, oh, there's 
know, putting a flyer on a telephone pole, then whoever sees it, sees it, and then it can't be taken out of context and then shared a million times. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was very interesting to see that there was this whole burgeoning new zine uh, scene going on, which I really hadn't been aware of. And as I said, most of it wasn't conspiratorial. It was mostly art, stories, fiction, um, scatological art, you know. And as I said, there was a few that was uh, um, covered the paranormal. Um, but uh, it was just fascinating to to, to see this. Uh, you know, what's what's old is, is new again. The pendulum swings back and forth, and people find an old medium and then make it work for them. So, what are you guys' thoughts for the future of uh, this paranormal conspiracy uh, UFO communities? And do do you see it going back more more local, more community based again? Or yeah, that's a good do question. you think it's? Yeah. What do you guys see? Oh God. I have no idea. I haven't really thought about it. Um, uh, I don't know if it'll be local, but I think w- what I have hoped for a long time is that it'll be interest-based and global, or at least national, where you don't have a top-down organization determining what people should be looking at, thinking where the information goes. What you have is a thousand different organizations um, all doing their own thing and um, fighting for supremacy on the internet, I guess. But at least that it, it allows for the, this is what we were talking about with the free speech thing earlier. It allows for a, a, um, a variety of viewpoints, opinions, and all that to be, to be equally heard. And I, you know, uh, I think that's the future of it. I mean, it already is the future of it. People are already doing it. Um, and I think that's great. And the other thing I think is happening and I've been giving talks about this, is that science and academia has taken this stuff ser- more seriously, at least the paranormal stuff, I'm about the conspiracy stuff. Right. Um, and that at some point, if we're lucky, it will supplant most of, uh, of ufology, and ufology won't even exist anymore as a, as a discipline. It'll just be a, a sub-heading you know, in, in um, physics, anthropology, psychology, um, you know, Every you know, um, forensic science, all all this stuff is going to be subsumed into that. I, I hope that happens. I see it happening already, and um, so that people that are a little bit more circumspect and have the money and have the connections and have the, um, uh, you know, I don't know about degrees. I, you, you don't have to have a degree to do good work, but the people that are, are trained to look at things. Um, uh, in in a in a sober deductive way, um, are, are will take over will take over the study of the subject and, and move it forward that way. And I don't think that science is going to solve it. It just isn't. But a combination of science, creativity, um, right brain stuff, um, artists, um, uh, out of the box lateral thinkers, uh, combined with somebody who has scientific or academic training. Will be the uh, will be what moves the the field forward, and indeed that's already happening. I think that's kind of what I felt when I saw Ray Hernandez give his speech, and it was it was. I don't think a lot of people got that he was almost like prophesizing the end of uh, that kind of you know insular UFO world. Yes, right. Yeah, old school ufology is like dead pretty much now. Yeah. It is. You know, it's kind of like it's it's archaic. <laughs> yeah. I ask people why they're still in MUFON, and the, their only answer is, I mean, with all the problems with it, their only answer is it's the only game in town. Right. So 
But the thing is that people, uh, I tell these people, it's like, why don't you go out and do your own thing? Why don't you? But most people don't want to because that's work and that's hard. And, you know, and it means you have to actually, instead of just saying, here's a case, why don't you take a look at it? Or going to the conference and seeing, you know, five people speak about some sort of UFO porno, you got to actually go out and, and look at the stuff yourself and think about it and talk to people and, and do something about it. And most people won't do that which is why MUFON will probably exist for quite a while. But as, as Tim said, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a, it's a dead game right now. You, yeah, you know, what, you what know. fascinates me about the, the conspiracy theory, at least, is, is the recent mainstreaming of it, in yeah. the sense that yeah. uh, in the wake of the Jeffrey Epstein story, I read an article, I think it was an opinion column in the New York Times, or it was some mainstream newspaper like that, and the whole tone of the article was, was sort of wringing their hands saying they were worried that all this evidence of conspiracy is going to give people the mistaken impression that there are in fact conspiracies going on. <laughs> oh wow. And it was it was fascinating reading it. And so on one hand there's that and then on the other hand just on on August 1st on Yahoo News uh, Jan Jana Winter on 8-1-19, published an article called Exclusive FBI Document Warns Conspiracy Theories Are a New Domestic Terrorism Threat. Yep, you yeah, saw, that. saw that. You saw that. Okay, and then what was interesting is the last paragraph says, the FBI said another factor driving the intensity of this threat is, quote, the uncovering of real conspiracies or cover-ups involving illegal, harmful, or unconstitutional activities by government officials or leading political figures, unquote. The FBI does not specify which political leaders or which cover-ups it was referring to. So the whole tone of this FBI uh, document was, we have to be careful of these people who are believing in conspiracy theories and they're going out and acting on it. And then it ended with, and the problem is there really are conspiracies. Uh, yeah. So it was. Yeah, I did read that. This interesting uh, paradox. I, I, I mean, in 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 uh, talking about what's what's old is is new again. It just so happened that the day that uh, Jeffrey Epstein's suicide was announced, I happened to be reading the new research volume, Robert Anton Wilson, Beyond Conspiracy Theory, uh, which is this um, manuscript that they research. You know, V. Vale was originally going to do back in the eighties. Uh, but they never published it, and so they found the manuscript and just published this this very long interview with Robert Anton Wilson from 1985, uh, in which he talks a great deal about the mysterious suicide of Roberto Calvi, who was this uh, yeah, at the time right. in the 80s. This was a major conspiracy theory that was talked spoken about P2. all over Europe. A P2 Lodge, yeah. exactly. Exact. Mm -hmm. Roberto Calvi was a banker. Who, who hanged himself, supposedly, beneath the Blackfriars Bridge in London, mm -hmm. and he had just fled from Italy because he was involved in this major banking scandal that had cost the Vatican hundreds of millions of dollars. So there were theories that the Vatican had killed him, or the Mafia had killed him, or the Freemasons had killed him, because he was also a member of this P2 Masonic Lodge in Italy that had almost taken over Italy, um, had almost caused a fascist coup of, of the Italian government. And so you had um, all these people, the, the, the original autopsy report on Calvi said that it was not, that it was suicide, and everyone said, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. So they did a second autopsy report where they said, well, it's unconfirmed. We don't know if it was suicide or not. And I, I'm reading Robert Anton Wilson talking about the, the Calvi suicide, uh, and at that same moment, the Jeffrey Epstein suicide was announced on the radio. 
Uh, and it was this, almost the same circumstances, this very powerful figure who is the nexus point of all these right. vying conspiratorial uh, political influences and people immediately seeing that there was something suspicious about it, despite the fact that the mainstream media is telling you, no, it's, it was just a suicide. Um, meanwhile, you have people like uh, there was an article in, in mainstream newspapers where a former inmate at the same cell block where Epstein was kept came out and said, there's no way, no way he could possibly commit suicide. I was in that same cell block, I know. Uh, so you had mainstream, you have mainstream newspapers reporting on this, and it was so, it was such a mirror, uh, such a mirrored story with the Roberto Calvi thing and everything Robert Anton Wilson was talking about back in 1985. It was just this fascinating experience. It was reading this this little book, which I recommend, Robert Anton Wilson, Beyond Conspiracy Theory. It's 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 like getting a letter from a friend who had died, you know, 10 years earlier, and you find it in the attic, and you realize that. He, he, he wrote it a long time ago, and you open it, and, and suddenly this person who has been dead many years is talking to you from the past. That's exactly what it's like reading this book. And what's amazing about it is just uh, when you're reading it, and he's talking about all of these conspiratorial events in 1985, that really nothing's changed. It's, it's just the names and the figures that are different. Uh, so just like Roberto Calvi now has gone down the memory hole, and very few people know who uh, Roberto Calvi is, even though he was on the tip of everyone's tongue in 1985, uh, you know, eventually Jeffrey Epstein will be, you know, uh, 30 years from now. Who? Who's Jeffrey Epstein? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, That's a very good point. How this yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. Like, when the Epstein thing happened, uh, well, fuck, even the president tweeted something about it, but it was like the Clinton death list all of a sudden was back in the news again yeah. like right. oh right. my god are you serious and people i know were like sharing shit about the clinton death list and it's like come on dude like really like they're powerful enough to kill some dude like in a supermax prison but they can't fucking fix the election so they win like they, all, they can they can only kill people that's their superpower that's their superpower we can't rig elections we can't make it to wisconsin we we can't, we 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 run shitty campaigns but fuck can we kill people we are just real we are we're real good at just just killing people well fuck getting elected just kill them all the Jesus Christ. Saw, all the memes i saw that day were all you know bill clinton Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton killed Jeffrey Epstein, completely ignoring the fact that Donald Trump is in the same book. <laughs> that, that, oh, that yeah, Epstein. yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, well, people put, like, tweets, they juxtapose them right next to each other. We're like, depending on what camp you were in, it was like either the Clintons definitely did this or Trump definitely did this. It was well, like that, it was, that, you know. that was another fascinating parallel with the Roberto Calvi thing, because Robert Anton Wilson makes, you know, he's almost using Roberto Calvi as a symbol of perceptual psychology, and that if you hated the Freemasons, it was obvious that the Freemasons killed Calvi. If you hated the Vatican, then the Vatican killed Calvi. Yes, if you hated the mafia, perfect. the mafia yeah, killed Calvi. Perfect. And the same thing with, with Epstein. Well, exactly, yeah. Let's let's leave it there, guys. I mean, this has been very fascinating. I enjoyed this conversation. Awesome. Um, let's go down the list, guys, of people that uh, what you got going on. Um, what's next for you all, you guys? We'll start with you, Greg. Yeah, I was on hiatus or have been on my show, and I'm about to come off of it with a couple of uh, pretty surprising guests, but I will announce that when it comes up within the next week or so. So Radio Mysterioso will be back on, back on, not probably not a 
regular schedule, but at least a schedule where I'm now I will start releasing shows again. Nice. So that that's the nice. thing going on now. Looking yeah. forward. Yeah, I've, I've missed listening to it. And um, Robert. Uh, I just published a new nonfiction book called Bell Lugosi and the Monogram Nine, which I wrote with my friend Gary D. Rhodes, who's a film scholar and the head of the film department at the University of Florida. And yeah. I have a, a book of fiction coming out next year in March called Widow of the Amputation and Other Weird Crimes, which is a collection of four novellas that all take place in Southern California. And each novella is designed to get weirder as you go along through the book. And the title story, Widow of the Amputation, is, is all about a road trip uh, with Charles Manson and the severed head of Mary Magdalene. So I, I, you, you'll love it. <laughs> and I definitely uh, be prepared in October. I want to get you back on for the Bella Lugosi book. That would be so, excellent. So we can, but I think that's pretty appropriate for Halloween time. And last but not least, very famous Tim Banal, who is going to be hanging out with us here in Nashville in yes. October. Yes. I was kind of like I was kind of like uh, Robodopey there and be like, yeah, I got nothing going on. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be. You can give the people the dates. Strange Realities Conference, right? Strange yep. Realities October nineteenth at SIR Nashville. And I'm gonna be doing uh, the People of Flat Earth, a discussion on the history of the Flat Earth movement, um, bringing it up to the present time. Uh, the big sort of like it's it's Renaissance in recent years and why that's happened. Um, and where it's going from here. So people really loved it in Baltimore, and I, I enjoyed doing it. So I'm looking forward to uh, rolling it out for the folks at the Strange Realities Conference. It's going to be fun. Uh, so, folks, you definitely want to make it out to this. It's going to be a blast. Absolutely. That's strangerealitiesconference.com. If you guys get your tickets, 30, 30 bucks prepaid, $40 at the door. So thank you, gentlemen. It's been, uh, it's been a blast. And uh, guys, we'll be... Back to close out the show on Inspire Normal. If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, we're back. Another epic roundtable event. Yes, sir. Another one. Another one. Another I uh, was pretty impressed by that roundtable. Yeah, that was awesome. That was good. I mean, that one, I didn't really know what to expect on that one. We didn't really have like a too much of a common theme. But I think going to Alien Expo gave us a nice little theme Yeah, as well. And we're sorry. We didn't mean to pick on you, Dr. Jonathan Reed. Dr. Jonathan Reed, yeah. We didn't mean to pick on you too too, too much. Um, it was nice of you to, to be nice to us and talk to us and tell us your story. Yeah. Well, he didn't really tell us his story, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was the lady that told us the story. Let's, uh, just in closing here, closing out the show, let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that we did there and um, maybe a couple other people that we talked to, we talked to um, and who we were really impressed by. Yeah. yeah, we got to meet Dean Hagland. And if you don't know who Dean Hagland is, he was... Which one was he? Which one... 
of the lone gunman was he? What was his name? Oh crap! I'm gonna look like an X Files. Well, you know, like the, the the one that like the blonde hair and the glasses that that uh, wore all the Ramones T-shirts. So he's over there in his little booth. I mean, I guess he's getting X Files questions, and Seraphiel goes up to him and starts talking to him about the Ramones. So we ended up talking to him about the Ramones and Alex Jones for. Was it when we were talking to him for what thirty minutes? Yeah, we had a pretty good time. I think man. We, He's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna we gave him a card. We gave him uh, a conspiracy normal card. We gave him uh, the card, the little flyer that we have for the Strange Realities Conference. Even though we don't think he's gonna he not gonna probably won't make it, but uh, we're gonna have him on the show. Uh, I'm hopefully hopefully in the next like couple of months. So I'm really happy about that. He's got a movie. He's had a movie out for a long time. That movie like looks really cool too. I really want to see it. Yeah, yeah. So. He he was Richard Ringo Langley. He was Langley. Yes. Okay. Good. All right. So I get them all mixed up. I think Fro Hickey was the like shorter guy with the glasses. Sounds and like a Byers. Fro- I think Hickey. was the. I think Byers was the guy with the short hair and the beard. Okay, I okay. think that's that's who. Yeah, I think that's the. I believe you are correct. That's how it goes. Okay, yeah. So we talked about uh, we talked a little bit about the lone gum and stuff with him, but uh, mostly it was about uh, Alex Jones and how crazy Alex Jones is. And I got to talk a little bit to Angelia Shear. We're going to try to get her on the show as well. She is the, as we mentioned before in the roundtable, she's the head of the Tennessee chapter of MUFON. Yeah. I so really that, enjoyed her presentation. Yeah. It was really cool. Really forward thinking. So her and Ray Hernandez were probably my favorite ones that we saw that day. Yeah. Me too. Um, she definitely um, knows what she's talking about. And she has a pretty good handle on kind of like the cross section or the pollination between poltergeist phenomenon and kind of the ghostly phenomenon. Yeah. I was really alien, impressed. The alien stuff. I was really impressed coming from a MUFON. Yeah. She's really, she's really thinking outside of the box. Yeah. MUFON's a real loose organization. Yeah. So I think that okay. they can just, they can embrace Change. whoever, whoever is ahead of MUFON, they can kind of embrace it. So she was really interesting. Ray Hernandez, as we mentioned before, I, we did Excellent. not get to meet yeah. him, but that was a really good, a really good presentation. And he was cut short, which I thought was really bad and really should not have been that way. People should have been like really listening to what he had to say. Uh, I did get to talk a little bit to Kathleen Martin. I want to get her. She is the niece of Betty Hill. And she did this whole thing about the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction case. That was really interesting. That's when Dr. Jonathan Reed gave up his little like his little soapbox. And uh, so I got to talk to her as well. Um, just, you know, remind her about being on the show. We did get to talk to Travis Walton just briefly. And I got him to sign a book for my mom. And I got I got one too. Yeah. And Fire in the Sky, the the movie is really influential to me as a yeah, young yeah. kid in nineteen ninety three in Arizona. I remember my dad taking right. me to it and being terrified by the abduction scene and Yeah, that was a crazy movie. Yeah. Nothing like actually what happened. Right. But it was a pretty crazy movie. And it was cool to meet the man, yeah. He's a really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, he is a really nice guy. Um he's you know, I met him back in the Paradise Symposium about three years ago. Uh, I think we talked to him. We talked to him briefly then, and I've had him on the show since then. And uh, we actually met some fans. 
of the show, which was that was really cool, which was an interesting experience. Absolutely. So uh, we uh, we're passing out these flyers for our Strange Realities Conference 2019. And we've had some people that said they may come, be interested, and we could, we go up, and we talked to these uh, this like two it's like two guys, two girls, and we went up and talked to them. And uh, one of the girls looks at me and says, "He says, I says, conspiracy podcast presents right," and she says, "Oh, I listen to your show, and she listens to Where Did the Road Go too." And Strange Familiars. And Strange Familiars. So, shout out to those people in Birmingham. I think we are going to call it. Um, next time, we've got Dr. Heather Lynn coming on. I rescheduled that one. We're going to talk about evil archaeology. And I'm really excited to, to get into some of this stuff. Um, I've already got the questions laid out from a month ago. So, But I think we're we're going to talk about... Demons, possession, maybe get into a little bit of witchcraft, and just some little odds and ends. And guys, we, as you've heard us mention constantly, we have a conference coming up in October. Strange Realities. That's right. The Strange Realities Conference, guys. Uh, If you are in Nashville or if you are out of town, we'd love for you guys to come. We're doing it at SIR Nashville on October 19th. We've got Tim Banal, who you just heard tonight. We've got Guy Malone. We've got Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner. Mark Wyatt and Zach Hunt. And our good friend Joe is going to be there as well, demonstrating his ghost hunting technology. So we're really looking forward to this, guys. We're trying to raise money for the show and uh, try to come out. It's going to be a really good time. We're going to have music and stuff at the end of the night as well. Maybe a few other kind of miscellaneous things off to the side. So I remember that date, October 19th, 2019, for the uh, Stranger Realities Conference. And if you would like to help out the show, you can go to... Patreon.com slash Conspiranormal or make a one-time donation at Conspiranormal.com. That's right. It's only one buck. One buck gets you in. Okay, guys. We're going to close out the show. I want to thank everybody for listening. And we'll be back next time on Conspiranormal. StrangeRealitiesConference.com how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.